This is uh, Rodney Kenner, and I'm Jim Congdon, and we are in the last, right? Yep. Good morning. Great Good breakfast. Morning. Hey, uh, hey, Juan, tell those guys, tell Tom and Steve to get their to get their bodies out of here. We want to thank them for all the dinner, all the breakfasts. Tell them to tell them to get out of here for a second. Come on, Steve. Come on, Tom. This is uh, the last of 11 sessions this fall in our first semester. Yeah, good idea, guys. Run up and grab some more of the food. Hey, Steve, yeah. thanks a million, man. Yes, Let's give this guy a so hand. Yeah. Did your, uh, your buddy Tom run off? He's probably in the toilet. Yeah, he just had his plumbing worked on this week. Yeah. So, yeah, that's right. It's so cleaned out. He's sitting, yeah, we won't get into that. So, yeah, grab more breakfast, and then, uh, and then if, you could, if you guys could lower that, pull the food out on this side and lower that, uh, the garage door there, and, uh, yeah, pull the, maybe pull the food out this direction if you can. And slide that down. That'll keep the sound out. So we'll start back up with a new book on, usually it's the second Wednesday of second semester, which will make it, I think January the 1st is, I think Christmas and January 1st are on Wednesdays. So it'll make it January the 8th. Tentatively, Rodney and I and the breakfast will be here again. Yeah. So... Yeah, so a lot of things happened since last week. Uh, that was a brutal game on uh, Sunday, wasn't it? I mean, it really goes to show you can have the single best player in a sport in the entire world named Mahomes, and yet if you don't have the no-names on the line and on the special teams, there's the guy blocking that final punt. It looked to me like he was way offside, but, but it happens, and uh, what a mess. So that was pretty sad. And, uh, and let me think. Okay, and now we're going to Mexico this weekend. And we're playing the Bolts. We're playing a team with a tough defense. So we'll see what happens, playing against Rivers. Um, so then there's K-State. Huh? Huh? Yeah. What do you think, Rodney? I don't know. I, I don't follow K-State basketball that well, much. We don't? No. Sneed uh, carried him to victory, but then he got injured. They don't know what's going to happen to him. So that was a big win, though, to beat UNLV. Jayhawks uh, beat, beat one of those teams with a lot of initials in their title in their home opener. And uh, the guy who's shooting the ball there, Devin Dots, and their guard, uh, was responsible, really, for their victory. And I was at the game, took my grandson and my son Mark and his wife, and to our surprise, we found this guy there sitting down on the uh, main table. Would you uh, saw then? I took a picture of you, Paul, during the game as well. And uh, these were some ESPN guys. Would you explain? Take this mic. Would you take this mic and explain what in the world you sat here? You sat up here last Wednesday morning and didn't say a word about this. So uh, what happened here? Um, last Wednesday morning, I didn't know anything about this. I got. Oh, Unplugged it or something. But I got a text Wednesday night asking if I could do, they call it talent stats for the broadcast, where you basically sit next to the play-by-play -play guy and write notes on cards and hand them to him. 
this for ESPN? Yeah, this is for ESPN. So there's a stat monitor you can see me playing with there, which helps a lot. And then I got a bunch of paper and just jotting things down. Mostly keeping track of streaks and trends, and they've missed X number of shots in a row. They're on an 8 nothing run. Just things like that that if you're the play-by-play guy, it's really hard to keep track of on the fly and be confident about what you're about to say. So it was a good time. It was uh, kind of a throwback to some of what I did at ESPN, and it was nice to do live TV because uh, it's like a drug. kind of gets in your system, and <laughs> <laughs> you get high on it. And so I missed that a little bit. You know, it's interesting. Uh, I was watching the Chiefs game, and they did a – they looked into the booth, uh, and you can see Jim and Tony, and then they kind of pan back, and there's like six other people in there. And I was like, oh, that's that's where they get all that information from because everybody has their headsets on. And I don't know if they're talking to them through the headsets or they're just writing notes like like you, but it, you know, they just sound so natural. They were just up there talking like knowing all this information. I'm like, where are they getting this information from? So. That's, hey, by the way, really you're, cool. uh, what's going to happen to your buddy? So San Francisco, Seattle played the game of the week, and finally San Francisco lost their first game. But we were talking, I think, last week, maybe it was the week before when you were here, about, uh, about, Tyler, uh, about Tyler Lockett, mm-hmm. who's one of the top, if you play fantasy football, some of you do like I do, one of the top 20 fantasy players, top wide receiver for Seattle. And, uh, and then he wasn't playing. Uh, fourth quarter, end of the fourth quarter, and over time he got hurt or something, right? Yeah, he got some sort of leg contusion. I, I didn't, I didn't watch the end of the game. I watched it until about the fourth quarter, so I didn't see, I didn't see it happen. So you typically turn off a game right when it gets good, or? Uh. <laughs> I was really tired. So. Yeah. Okay. So here's an interesting thing. I don't think I've ever known this to happen before, but Kansas State is going to play the Monmouth Hawks on Wednesday. Or, Today? Tomorrow? Tomorrow. Tomorrow. And then um, KU, then the Monmouth's going to go over and play at KU the next day, or Saturday or something, just a day or two later. Isn't that interesting? It is. Hopefully we don't have what happened to Kentucky last night. Did you see that? No. Number oh, one, Kentucky lost. This is number one team Life is so good. Lost to Evansville. Evansville. Evansville, as you know. Just loves Kentucky. They're just <laughs> bosom buddies. Evansville hates Kentucky, and they upset Kentucky. Yeah. So, anyway, so let's whip through the final three chapters here and set these guys free, shall we? 21 yes. Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. John Maxwell has done a good job for us. We've uh, gone through the first 18 laws. Would you run us into law number 19? Yeah, law number 19 is the law of timing. Um, when to lead as a leader is as important as what to do and where to go. And in the, in the book, <clears throat> he gives an example about uh, Hurricane Katrina and the responses of uh, the individuals who were in government at that time, the, the mayor of New Orleans and even our federal government, how they, when they delayed, uh, it, it caused a lot of issues. It, it caused a lot of probably unnecessary deaths. Um, and it, to make his point that, um, you know, for us as leaders, that we have to pay attention to the timing of our actions. Um, it was kind of comical when I was sitting down to prepare this. I, I was staying home with a couple six, sick kids yesterday, yesterday morning. And uh, I sat down to start writing out what I'm going to say. And my middle child comes up to me and, and just goes, potty. And I was like, oh. And it was... The law of timing that if I just said, 
I just wait a couple minutes. She just would have went everywhere. And so it was a, kind of a good reminder to me. Like, it's true. Timing matters for everything. Um, from if you're making life, you know, life changing, uh, life altering decisions like uh, people in government with Katrina or a little three year old who needs to go to the bathroom. Uh, timing makes the whole difference. And so uh, Maxwell says there's there's four outcomes as a leader when you when you make a decision. Uh, if you take the wrong action or I'm sorry, if you take the wrong action at the wrong time, it's going to leave. They're gonna, it's going to lead to disaster. Uh, your people are going to suffer and your leadership is also going to suffer. Uh, next one, if you take the right action at the right time, at the wrong time, it's going to bring resistance. Um, in order to uh, and, and then he makes a point of good leadership timing requires many, many things. Uh, it requires understanding. So having a firm grasp on what needs to be done. Uh, it requires maturity the correct motivation of why you're doing things when you're doing them. It, it requires, uh, it, there it is, uh, confidence. Uh, you have to know what needs to be done and be confident enough to make a decision. Uh, decisiveness, that if you're a wishy-washy leader, you're going to have wishy-washy followers. So you need to be very decisive in what you choose to do. Uh, you have to have experience. So kind of been there, done that. And if you don't have the experience, you need to lean on people who do have the experience to help you through whatever it is that, that uh, you have to make a decision about. Uh, it requires intuition. Uh, you got to capitalize on, on a couple intangible things as far like momentum and morale. You have to be able to know those things just kind of naturally uh, to, to make a good uh, leadership decision at the right time. And lastly, it uh, requires preparation. That if the, if the conditions aren't right, then in some ways you, it's your responsibility as a leader to make the conditions right to make the decision that you're going to make. Um, if you'll go back one slide. Uh, number three, the, the next outcome, you could have uh, the wrong action at the, at the right time. And what that's going to do is that's going to that's gonna lead to a mistake. Uh, so wrong action at the right time is just always going to lead to a mistake. And then lastly, take the right the right action at the right time that's going to result in success. Um, so that's that's kind of the gist of what he was trying to say. It was kind of a short chapter. Not really sure. um, and so, uh, you know, so some of my questions are, you know, when you're making a decision, does timing for you, does it matter? Uh, do you, do you consider the timing of an action? I had, a, had an employee come to me and said, hey, my team's really frustrated, this, that, and the other, just this week. And uh, I was, had to sit there and go, okay, when's the right time to address this with his team? Because I could have gone straight from that meeting and gone with his team and tried to address their issue. And I just said, you know what, let's wait a couple weeks. Let's, let's see how this plays out. Because uh, that could have been the right action to take just at the wrong time, and that would have been a mistake. And it, were, it probably would have brought resistance. So... Be, no, being able to know when to make a decision, when not to make a decision, um, is is uh, it's critical. Sometimes taking the uh, right action at the wrong time, if you delay, you know, can be as bad as taking the wrong action. Jason knows this. He and I were spending some time yesterday afternoon talking about the fact that, uh, you know, uh, um, you know, there's been a you know timing issue. We should have contacted somebody. 
you know, a long time ago and the fact that, that we delayed, you know, it's got, you know, people can get, can get sort of bent out of shape if you've blown your communication. If you don't communicate to your wife or to your friends at the right moment and you wait till later and they feel then like they're unimportant, I mean, I don't care how well you communicate. I don't yeah. care what, how good the reaction is if you don't tell your wife when you should tell her you're yeah. in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, law number 20 is the law of explosive growth. Um, and his, and his subtitle is to add growth, lead followers, to multiply, lead leaders. Um, and as a leader, I, I think some of us uh, probably uh, wrestle with this as far as, hey, we know kind of where our organization, our teams are, our businesses are. Um, and we know that we need to grow. And there's a tension between where we currently are and where we need to go. As a leader, to relieve that tension, uh, he says what you need to do is you need to employ the law of explosive growth. Um, uh, and he says that you can, you can grow by leading followers, people who are employed by you, who are on your team. But if you really want to experience explosive growth, for you to reach your uh, maximum potential as a leader and uh, as an organization, you have to d not just grow followers, but you have to develop leaders. Um, and so for, for most of us, that's gonna require a shift in our focus uh, from, because most of us are more concerned about just those people on our team, those people who are following us. So it requires a shift from, hey, I'm going to focus on the followers versus I'm gonna focus on the leaders. And so he kind of gives, hey, these are, I think it's his eight things that he, yeah. um, he says that, um, you know, th these are the shifts. Uh, the first one is leaders who develop. So it's going to be a leaders who develop leaders versus, or leaders who develop followers versus leaders who develop leaders. So the first one is leaders who develop followers, they need to be needed. Uh, versus leaders who develop leaders, they want to be succeeded. Uh, when you come into leadership the first time, it's a very exciting thing. You got people who are listening to you, people who follow you, uh, people who, who want to come to you and ask you questions. Uh, and it feels good to be needed as a leader. And most times people come uh, into it kind of, they love the power of it and they like to be needed. Uh, but the people who develop leaders are the ones that they don't care about that. They're more concerned about the people who they are leading, uh, being able to follow them in their leadership and be able to carry on what it is that they've started out. They're not concerned about being wanted. They want people to come behind them and, and continue to lead. Number two, uh, leaders who develop followers focus on weaknesses versus people who develop leaders, they focus on the strengths. Uh, number three, uh, People who develop followers, they, they develop the bottom 20% uh, versus leaders who develop leaders develop the top 20%. Uh, he says this. I like, I like what he said. He says, um, if you develop the best, the best are going to lead the rest. And so this idea that you're going you're gonna to invest uh, your time in those best people because you know that those, those people who you consider the best are going to lead those other people that – are not in the top 20 in your, in your stance, and they're gonna help the whole organization out. Number four, uh, they treat leaders who develop followers, they treat everyone with fairness, versus people who develop leaders uh, treat each one differently for impact. Um, they, uh, 
he says, you know, if if you have a whole bunch of people who are goofing off and you treat every and you have a but also at the same time in your group, you have people who are really uh, focused and driven. If you treat everybody the same, you're going to lose those people who are very focused and driven because they're it's not individualized to them and they're just going to end up leaving. Um, four uh, more, four more, four more. <laughs> Uh, number uh, number five, those who develop followers hoard power versus those who develop leaders, they give their power away. Number six, uh, they spend one spends just spends times with others versus investing time with other people. Uh, number seven, they grow by addition. They just keep on adding people, keep on adding people versus leaders who develop leaders. They grow by multiplication. It's the whole idea of. Um, you know, if I invest in you, you go and invest in another, and then we're all going to go and invest. And there's this power of multiplication that happens that each time you develop someone else, they go and develop someone else, and it, it grows. And then uh, lastly, those who develop followers impact those that they touch personally versus leaders who develop leaders impact people far beyond their reach. Um, a lot of times I've, I've read books, a lot of books about the, the 12 disciples, about Jesus investing in 12, that those would go out and invest in others. And this is the same concept that um, we would, in, uh, as leaders, we would invest in other leaders who would go and invest in other people and you would see a multiplication. So what makes this difficult or what makes it hard to invest in leaders? Why is it so much easier to invest in followers rather than leaders? Well, three things. Leaders are hard to find. Leaders are hard to gather. Uh, it's hard to get someone who's a leader who's doing their own thing, who's making things happen, to get them to come. You have to have a compelling enough vision and be doing something that they want to do in order to get them. And then they're also hard to keep. They're always looking for uh, new things, bigger things uh, to be a part of. And so um, they can be very hard to keep. You know, one of the things that, uh, that ties in with the last law, which is the one I'm going to lead us in, the law of legacy, is that a few years ago, <clears throat> seeing, that, uh, seeing that my career as the lead pastor here uh, was going to be, you know, ending or transitioning in, who knows, three to five years, whatever, uh, I, I decided that I really needed to develop leaders. But the problem you have is you don't know ahead of time who's going to turn out to be a leader. You can tell maybe out of five people, one of them is not going to be, okay? But, or maybe two. But, but three or four of them, you can't predict. You'd say, well, uh, uh, you, know, you know, some people clearly have the sign of leadership on their forehead like Harry Potter. But, but most, people, most people don't. And so I decided I needed to ratchet up the number of guys groups you know, that I spend time with. And so I'm, I, I meet with six groups of guys each week. This is one of them. And it's really, really a lot of fun. And, uh, and you know, there are no guarantees, but, but by doing it that often, and I realize that's a little bit ridiculous. None of you are in six small groups a week. But uh, part of that ties in with number 21, and I told you I was going to take number 21 because I'm living this right now, and that is the law of legacy. A leader's lasting value is measured by succession. And, of course, we've been working on that for almost 10 years here when I was – 60, I'm 68 now, told the elders we wanted to work, I wanted to work on this, wanted to talk about it every year, wanted to spend the January meeting on this. So we've been working on it, spent hours on it yesterday, going through four more resumes, listening to a bunch of sermons and so forth. So, uh, you know, 
we're wide open as far as uh, as far as succession here, and it'll happen, Lord willing, sometime between one year and five years from now. You know, uh, we sort of have a tentative goal that uh, for December next year, because then I'm st- I'm still in my 60s, but we're finding that we can't dictate that. You know, we've gone through about uh, 60 resumes so far and talked to a lot of people. But uh, it's just, you know, it's just really important that... Uh, and, and the story he tells in here is he tells about the CEO of Coca-Cola, guy who died in the... Uh, just before 2000. I forget. His name is really weird. started with the letter G. Gorgonzola, something like that, you know. And he was a great leader, but he died all of a sudden. Uh, before he died, he said things like a billion hours ago, uh, humanity was, uh, you know, came onto the earth. A billion minutes ago, Christianity was born. A billion seconds ago, he said, uh, the Beatles appeared on Ed Sullivan. A billion Cokes ago, Coca-Colas ago, was yesterday morning. And he said, my goal is to figure out how to, how this morning can be a billion Cokes ago tomorrow. And but then he suddenly died, and and the company, and he had moved the company from four billion dollars a year company to one hundred and fifty billion dollars a year company, and and the question was, how was this company going to do when the CEO suddenly died? It turned out that he had really worked hard to spend his time with the top guys immediately underneath him, and Coca Cola just just transitioned as if he was not important at all. So. Um, the four disciplines that he lists that I thought were really good, and I, I love this chapter, you know, I've engraved it on my mind, is one, know the legacy you want to leave. What is it actually at TBC or wherever you are, even in your family, that you actually want? What's the priority? What do you want to make sure happens? Number two, live the legacy you want to leave. If you want it to be a family of integrity, if you want it to be a church that does things right, that doesn't go into debt or doesn't do this or that, then you need to live that kind of legacy. Number three, choose who will carry on your legacy. And finally, four, make sure you pass the baton. Any of you who are in church work know well that there's a lot of times where... um, I was involved to some extent in First Southern Baptist, the largest Southern Baptist church in America at that time, down in Dallas. W.A. Criswell was the super famous pastor. And Mark, well, may remember this, he was down in Dallas, same time. And, and they brought over the most amazing British preacher. So he had the accent and everything, you know. And we all loved him. But Criswell couldn't give up power. And after a couple of years, that guy just said, forget this, and left. That went through... There were two or three amazing people that were brought in to succeed him, but he couldn't ever pass the baton. And then he finally died, and, and it was a mess. It took them years to recover. So um, eventually, you have to be willing to uh, step back and give it up. Anything you want to add there? Okay. No. Um, listen, group discussion starters from chapter 19 is number one, chapter 20, number two, chapter 21, number three. Num- for number one, uh, recall a time in your life when you said, now that was perfect timing. <laughs> yeah, that'll be interesting. Number two, uh, this has to do with explosive growth. Tell about a time you witnessed explosive growth and the leaders there. That chapter reminded me, because here at TBC... You know, when I came, we were upper 200s, about 300, and and we 
we've done some gradual growth over the years, but frankly, we've actually had four explosions. You know, we moved suddenly from three to five, suddenly from five to eight, that was in about 1984, suddenly from eight to 12, suddenly from 12 to 15. I mean, it's just, it's interesting how that works. And, uh, and I think you see that with uh, football teams as well. Suddenly they move like San Francisco. From being, uh, from being the worst team in the league to the best. Uh, number three, are you thinking about leaving a legacy? How are you going about it? So congratulations, as of this morning, you finished uh, a book, which I didn't realize was as well-known as it is. But I had people, I mentioned this book in church on Sunday when I preached on fathers, and I mentioned this group. And I, ha- I had so many people come up uh, people that surprised me were of the female gender, especially, you know, who, who I, I, I realized what a chauvinist I am. I think that this is more of a guy's book, but uh, the women are coming up going, I love that book. Which law do you like best? I really like the law of the lid. And I'm going, you read that book? Isn't that a guy's book? So, anyway, I didn't realize how famous this book was. So congratulations that you've gotten through it. Uh, Rodney, lead us in a word yeah. of prayer. Lord, we, um, we thank you for just today, and we thank you for this opportunity for us to gather as men. Um, we thank you for this time that we've had together. Um, pray that this time has been uh, sharpening for each one of us, Lord, that we would develop into the leaders and men uh, that, that you have created us to be. Uh, we would be bold and courageous in those things that you've set before us, Lord. Your word says that you've prepared good works in advance for us to walk into, mm-hmm. and I pray that uh, Lord, that we would be bold and courageous to walk into those things. Uh, pray that uh, your word would be guiding us as we go forth from here, Lord, that we listen to your spirit. Uh, we do as he would guide us to do, Lord. And, uh, and we just thank you for the new life that you've given us, that you've taken us from death to life, and we get to experience uh, life with you. And I pray that we would live uh, fully in that, uh, and Lord, that we would not forget what it is that you've done for us. Uh, We ask and pray these things in your son's name. Amen.